everyone, and welcome to the One Bad Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Irie Carlson. This is the go-to podcast for microhabits. The goal of this podcast is to show you how to create long-lasting change by creating to-dos you can actually achieve. This is the key that can transform your life. Each episode will help pave a strong foundation so you can begin your journey to building a happier and healthier life mentally, physically, and emotionally. It's time to take away the pressure of being perfect and to replace it with the tools that will love and support the incredible person you are and becoming. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the One Bad Habit podcast. Before we dive into the episode, I want to give our classic intro to our guest today. So first things first, today on the podcast, we have Brandon Eusebio. He has been a friend and someone I've known for about almost 10 years now, which is kind of crazy. And the importance of this episode or why I bring on people I know more than to help me grow my interview skills is because I feel like there is huge value in hearing stories of people's successes and their transitions towards being in a more aligned career or aligned hobby and them taking a chance on themselves is because you can really relate. It's someone who is like you. And that is something that I really want to bring to this show is real stories from real people, not just everyone who is famous, who made it big, who is already there with the people who have recently made that jump and are still continuing to grow into those new spaces in their life. And so he used to be in healthcare and then he fully transitioned to be become a software engineer. Today, he is a design technologist at a big tech company called Color and is doing incredibly well. And so we really hear his story today about how he was able to trust himself, how he was able to mindset shift some of the imposter syndrome And he breaks that down throughout the episode of like how in certain scenarios just had to take a chance of himself, how it shifted his mindset on a lot of other aspects within life and what that looks like and what protecting your boundaries looks like and how we can keep things sacred and how we can say no and just also breaks down some of the ways imposter syndrome can have us not always take chances that we actually should. And so really looking at when applying for jobs, those LinkedIn descriptions, we can oftentimes feel like we as people are not qualified and how sometimes that really is imposter syndrome and that shooting our shot is important, no matter a wordy description or what we think of ourselves, because we may be more impressive than we think. So he goes through all of that. It's really informative, especially looking at the job market right now. And if you're applying for jobs, if you're wanting to jump into becoming a software engineer or a design technologist, and he just walks through all of the steps that he did to make that a manageable process for him and how he was able to use a technique to allow him to be in flow and to not feel burnt out. We talk a lot, I feel like, weaved throughout the episode of burnout and how he really was trying to mitigate that and continue to move towards his goals and passions, but maintain 
for the most part, a peaceful day-to-day that felt in tune. I can't wait for you guys to hear and on to the episode. Brandon, welcome to the One Bad Habit podcast. I'm so excited to have you on today. Hello, I'm excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I guess I'll give background for everyone because obviously you and I know each other, but they don't know that we know each other. Brandon and I went to Westmont College together. And how long have we known each other now? Uh, It's been, okay, wait, when did we graduate? Five years ago? I think, yeah, we graduated five years ago. Good God. So it's been nine years. It's been nine years. So almost a decade. Oh, my God. Never felt older in my entire life than right now. That's insane. Well, that's really cool. I've known you almost a decade, Kelly. Wow. It is crazy. Since, yeah, since like 18 years old. Oh, my God. You're right. And now we're almost 30 or approaching (laughs) we're yeah we are soon approaching 30 that's crazy wow i can't believe it's almost been a decade i feel like too it's been so interesting seeing everyone's evolution you know like even your evolution and the friend group's evolution like i randomly check in with people yeah i don't know it's cool to see the growth and i know before when we met it was because we were both pre-med and that is not at all yeah, I forgot about that too. Wow, I blocked a lot out of my memory. We were both pre-med. We were in chem and bio and all that nasty stuff together. Staying up super late studying in Paige and whatnot in the dorm. Good times. Good times. So before we dive in, tell everyone just a little bit about you and what you're doing now. Maybe your, your background and your career. Yeah, sure. So like you mentioned, we, we kind of started off in the whole like bio pre-med realm at Westmont. Very quickly said, screw that. And we we kind of switched. I think it was both of us sophomore year. When did you switch? I think I switched sophomore year as well. Okay. Yeah. That tended to be the time where people got weeded out because that was the OCHEM physics bio two triad where you had to be real dedicated to get through that. So yeah, started off with that, ended up ditching it. I switched to neuroscience track of the psych major, which is kind of like biopsych. Uh, it, it satisfied a lot of the classes requirements that I'd already taken from being bio and then added in like some fun psych classes and neuroscience classes and things like that. Really enjoyed that. Psych department was awesome. Graduated with my bachelor's in that. And I actually got my first job out of Westmont at Theramind, which is a really cool, small neuropsychiatric clinic in Santa Barbara doing TMS therapy. It's this really cool cutting edge neurostimulation treatment for depression and anxiety and some other psychological conditions and things like that. And I worked there for a couple of years as the director. That was an amazing, rewarding experience, but it was very clearly like a little bit of a dead end for me. And, you know, being such a niche treatment, uh, <laughs> there's not a lot that you can do with it with just your bachelor's. So It was pretty clear I'd have to go back to grad school, maybe get a master's, maybe get a PhD. I also realized at the end of uh, my time at Westmont that I despise research. So that was a pretty clear sign to me that I don't want to go do a PhD. And actually, that's when Rachel and I both, uh, along with another friend or two, enrolled in night classes at SBCC to do nursing school prereqs. So we were going to do like, they have these accelerated programs where you kind of, if you have a bachelor's in a different program, you can jump in and get your accelerated bachelor's in nursing or even your master's in nursing. 
So I kind of went that direction. We did night classes for a year. I worked full-time at Theramine during the day and I'd jump over to class at night. Actually, around the time we got married in April of 2019, we uh, heard back from a couple schools that we applied to and got rejected and waitlisted and all that good stuff. So at the same time, your prereqs for some of these programs actually expire after like five to seven years. So all this fun stuff that we took together, Kelly, freshman and sophomore year, started to expire and we'd have to continue to take night school to catch up with that. And it was going to be like this never ending, horrible purgatory of night classes and whatnot. That's when I said, screw it and ended up looking at other options. And actually my brothers-in-law are both in tech and saw that I like to create fun little websites for my photography portfolio on the side. I was also into freelancing with photography at the time for several years. And so at that point they were like, dude, you like designing websites. You sit there and design the same photography portfolio like eight times just for fun. You should learn how to build websites for real and learn how to code and design for real. And so they pointed me towards an online bootcamp, one that you do at your own pace. It's basically like just a Udemy course collection of different modules and, and videos that teach you how to build like a web app or something like that, front end, back end, all the good stuff. And I enrolled in that and kind of the rest is history. So now I've been in the tech industry for a few years. I'm specifically a design technologist right now, although I've had other positions uh, like UX engineer, front end engineer, things like that. So basically what that means is that I just do software engineering as it pertains to the interfaces of web applications. So that's kind of what the front end is. But yeah, now I'm at a tech company called Color. Uh, they're a biotech company doing like a lot of different public health tech initiatives like COVID-19 testing platform rollouts and vaccines. And we have a genetic testing product. We just delivered an essential care product, which is really cool. They'll ship like a cool kit to your house and you get to do blood pressure on yourself. You do a little finger prick blood test and get that um, sent out to a lab that we have and give you all these cool kind of insights into your general health uh, in a cool dashboard and all this fun stuff. So we have tons of different uh, verticals in our business. It's a really big company uh, and I'm really having a lot of fun. That's where I've been at the past few years and now that's where I'm at now. No, that's amazing. I never knew that you also took nursing night classes. I feel like maybe I did in the past, but I just have amnesia and I was like, oh my God, you did that? That's so much going on for a season of life. Yeah, it was exhausting. I can't lie. Uh, it was really fun because Rachel was also doing it. We both wanted to go to nursing school. So like we had a medical microbiome class where we were actually lab partners, uh, which was hilarious. It's so funny to be your wife's or your husband's lab partner, you know, in night school. So it was fun, but it was like fun in like a painful, like we're bonding through our suffering kind of way. I remember because I feel like that's what it was like for us at Westmont in our undergrad classes. Yeah, no, I was I was also not a fan of the research labs. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, like being in it wasn't bad. But then I think afterwards, writing everything up, it was just very labor intensive. <laughs> yeah, like reading the lab before the lab, like as if I ever would have done that. I did not for the record, but you know, hey, we were lab partners at one time, Kelly. I have a picture of us like way back on my Instagram, or maybe you do on your Instagram. It's us like posing with uh, with Nate. Yeah, and like Dr. Cantrell or Dr. Hill or whoever it was, or not Dr. Hill, maybe Dr. Hill now, who knows? I think it was Cantrell. I okay. think you were right. Yeah. I saw her on the street randomly. 
I'm like, I don't think she remembers me. It's funny to me because seeing you also transition into being a software engineer and like the different aspects of that, I feel like you've always been really niche within doing web design and it somehow has to do with health. Is that purposeful? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say it's it's purposeful in an accidental way, which is a weird answer. I think when recruiter, okay, in the tech industry, and you might be familiar with this, Kelly, recruiting is huge. Like if you have a good LinkedIn profile and you have all your information filled out and everything's really nice and tidy, your inbox will just be exploding daily with people from all kinds of tech companies, uh, both small startups and large, well-known fan companies and things like that. I think me having all that stuff on my LinkedIn and my resume, just having that healthcare background, but also with tech skills made me like pop up, I guess, in recruiter searches on LinkedIn and things like that for like, hey, we got a health tech company that we're hiring for. They need a UX engineer. They'd love if you had a background in healthcare, which you do, blah, blah, blah. And that's actually kind of how I got my past couple roles. So I think it's intentional in that like people very intentionally sought me out because of that background, but it's accidental in that I didn't really plan on being that candidate. Life just kind of took me to those places. That's so interesting, but that makes sense. Has it been, I guess, do those things tie together within your job, even though you are design? Does, is it helpful for you to have that fair mind when you're going into yeah. reading these websites or does it feel separate? That's a really good question too. Honestly, I would say it applies uh, very rarely. I think there are some benefits to it in like a product direction sense. You could be a really good software engineer who just, you know, you get, you pull a ticket from Jira, it has the work laid out on it and you can come up with a really smart solution to implement that feature or something like that. And like, you could be a great engineer just doing that. But I think there are unique opportunities if you go beyond that. And if you're somebody who can try to take ownership over the entire product vision, like obviously you don't want to step on the toes of other people in your org, like product managers and designers who should be like leading the charge on that stuff. In my company, for example, we have, I probably shouldn't say the specifics just in case, but like we have new verticals that we're hoping to jump into. I think it does help to, as we think about what people we want to staff the team that's going to build out that product, it does help to think about people who might have more experience in that problem space where they could not just help build stuff and build the product, but they can help kind of contribute to the vision of that thing. Because I think that'll make it more successful. So yeah, I guess the short answer is in practice, in my day-to-day -day work, it doesn't really do much for me to have that background, but it's been helpful in getting jobs in certain industries because sometimes it's just a nice to have. And then also in, in some of those bigger, like more, I guess, bird's eye view things, it could be helpful. Yeah. I wonder if it's because like they have a passion and then they see, oh, well, they were interested in this and they got involved in this. And now maybe this could create more opportunities in the long run. Like you're talking about new verticals for you to stay or career development. Yeah, 100%. And I think too, in biotech at least, so this is the second biotech company I've been at. I was at a previous company before this called Linus Health. Shout out to Linus Health. It's a really cool company full of great people. They're a neuroscience tech startup. So they're building platforms to kind of help aid clinicians and researchers in pharma and things like that in diagnosing and, and coming up with better treatment plans for people who 
have like different dementias and early onset Alzheimer's and different things like that. So I'm probably not doing their product justice in that explanation, but go check out Linus Health, everybody, if you're listening, they're super cool. But having been at a couple of these companies, there is a culture of like passion and I don't think biotech tends to pay the way that like, I don't know, Facebook might or some Google, but there are companies in biotech where the pay is on par or maybe slightly less. But I think there's also this culture of like, these people are here because they're not just concerned with like their pay at the end of the day. It's not like generally here to go to work and go home and get their paycheck. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think in biotech, there's a lot more people who are more focused on impacting people in the work that they do. So I think that's pretty cool. And I think that also makes candidates like me who have that background of demonstrable patient care experience or things like that. Yeah, maybe it does make them slightly more hireable. Yeah, I guess that that sounds nice to be around people who really care about the bigger purpose and wanting to really make a difference. Has that culture that you're talking about kind of bled into other areas of your life since you've been kind of a part of that for so long in this industry? Yeah, that's a great question. I do think for the rest of my life, I'll be like a pretty heavy mental health advocate for my work at Theramine to my work at Linus Health and now even at Color. I think that will always stay with me. And of course, my undergrad education, like these are just things that I'm deeply passionate about. I love the brain, even just from a biological standpoint, it's so interesting. And then of course, like behaviorally, the way that issues with our brain or traumas or all these things that we can experience while we're here on earth, like how that plays into how we're feeling and what we're doing in our behaviors and what's benefiting us, what isn't benefiting us and different things like that. A lot of the things you talk about on this podcast and whatnot, that's all stuff that I just I think I'll always be interested in and I'll always try to advocate for wherever I can. Outside of that, like one thing I've learned at Color that I that isn't really healthcare related, but is in a roundabout way, neuroscience and health related is accessibility in engineering and design. There's a niche of making sure that products are accessible for people, for users of all types. Like if a certain user has a visual impairment or even things like situational disabilities where, hey, mom's got a baby in one hand and she's got to use the other hand to navigate this app. So you got to design it with that in mind. Th I think that's new to me. And I've learned a lot about it at Color as a design technologist on the UX Infra team, where we're like trying to help architects better systems in our front end engineering that bake accessibility into our code and like make it so that our interfaces are more like navigatable with just to keyboard since some users can't use my mice, <laughs> mouses, I don't know what the word is. Things like that. That's a really cool new niche that like, I never expected myself to care too much about that. Not to sound mean, but like, it's one of those things that you don't know that you don't know in engineering. Uh, a lot of engineers are great engineers, but don't really realize they should be doing certain things to their code to make it screen reader accessible and things like that. Um, so my eyes have been kind of open to that at color and uh, that's something I'm really passionate about. And it's something that like actually really lends itself to my neuroscience background, since we have to kind of account for all of these different types of users that have different perception and experiences. That's really cool. I didn't know that, that you could bake into code to make things more accessible for people with disabilities. That is kind of mind blowing to me. Almost every piece of a software interface has some accessibility implication to it. Like, a, you know, an image on a screen 
you could slap an image on a screen and call it a day, or you could slap an image on a screen and make sure that it has, um, you know, like accessible alt text so that a screen reader can describe what that image is to somebody who's blind and can't see the image. Every other element on a page form field elements that you got to fill out and submit a form for, which are obviously really important for users. Like there's a whole host of things that you have to do to those field inputs to make them accessible and like. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I feel like I will never really know everything about it. And of course, we're learning as we go in the, in the industry. So a lot of a lot of these standards change year to year. And that's kind of where my job is at right now is learning how to be a better engineer, not just in building interfaces, but building accessible, equitable experiences on software. Sorry, that's kind of a bird walk. I don't remember the original question. <laughs> no, you answered it. Yeah. You answered the question perfectly. That honestly ties into... My next question of, I know with software engineering, even before you went into it, having some friends who are in the field, how it really is always evolving all the time, mm -hmm. um, like with this example that you've just given. So when you are transitioning from, okay, this nursing thing, is it really going to work out? How did you, I know you said you started the school and the classes, but how did you move over into that and really prepare yourself for those interviews since information is changing all the time? Or what are some small things that you did and walk us through that? Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's one thing I'd love to tell you more about is what I did to switch industries exact, you know, not just to, not just to gloat, but <laughs> like to share with you guys, because I know there's a lot of people, especially nowadays, post pandemic, or as we come out of the pandemic, who are upskilling and changing industries and maybe even getting into tech specifically. So this could be useful information, but really there's two ways you can go. If you are somebody like me who was in a different industry and want to jump into tech as an engineer or even a designer or different things like that, you can do a boot camp. So if you already have like a bachelor's in God knows what, and you want to pick up these skills, you can go find a boot camp. And these programs are usually like a, a few months or something like that. Uh, rarely do they go beyond like half a year. And uh, they're pretty time intensive during those few months, but you know, you, after a few months, you have all the skills you need. You have a small portfolio. The learning is really laid out for you. And a lot of them even have like job guarantee programs where maybe if you don't get placed in a job by the end of it, you don't pay anything yet. They're going to wait till they place you in a job to start having you pay that thing back or tuition per se. So that's kind of option one is doing a boot camp. And then option two is self-teaching. And that's kind of the route I went. So that could look like anything, really. It's like, it is what you make it. And I think that's actually what was really attractive about it for me was I had already gone through all the school stuff, night classes, and like researching nursing programs. You got to figure out how to dot all the I's and cross the T's to get in and get your application approved and all that fun stuff. But with tech, all of a sudden it was like, yeah, learn the skills. If you can do them, someone will hire you. And I was like, that's so cool. I love that. I, I'm so sick of school. I don't want to go back. I just want to like learn a skill, be able to do a thing, show somebody I can do that thing and make some money. So that's pretty much what I did. And uh, the way I structured my learning was I went through that course. So I started with a Udemy course. It's by Colt Steele, who is a fantastic bootcamp instructor. Funny enough, I'm actually working with him now on creating Udemy courses for, for future students. For uh, We're working on a TypeScript course, which is a programming language. So uh, I'll go more into that because that's actually really funny how I ended up getting 
a position working with him, but took a, took a Udemy course from him. It's a full stack web development bootcamp. So they'll cover front end, back end, you'll build some projects and then you're off on your merry way. So it's like 40 hours of content. So not super long, but like pretty long. If you think about the fact that maybe you're only able to do like an hour a night, a few times a week, um, it could take you some months. So I actually started with that course. I did about, oh yeah, this is actually very important. So I made a very important point to not wear myself out. And what I did to do that was I, I would come home, get off work, go to the gym. And after that, if, if I get my dinner and start eating and sit down, it's time to do some learning. I didn't want to kill myself and I knew this would be hard. So I wanted to pace myself. I would just play it by ear and study according to however I felt that night. So if I came home, I was gassed. It was a long day. I'm going to do 30 minutes on another night. If I'm feeling really motivated, if I'm energetic, slept really well, whatever, I'm going to come home and maybe I'll do two hours. That was a really good approach. It just kept me flexible. It kept me in tune with like how I'm feeling that day. And because of that, it made my learning kind of burnout proof. And I thought that was something that like people should hear about because it really worked for me and it gave me the stamina to go and do this for six to eight months. So really I spent about six to eight months working, coming home at night and studying in some fashion. I'd also do like a few hours on a weekend, but I try to make it fun and like go to a coffee shop, shout out daily grind, get a breakfast burrito in hand, some good coffee and sit there and just kind of vibe and study at a slow pace, go through the course and code and build stuff. And that was kind of my plan. And it, it really, it really worked, but yeah, I guess I could stop there and, and see if you have any follow up questions. Cause that's a lot, but yeah, there was more to the story and like how you actually get a job from there, but yeah. No, thank you for all that background detail. I, it's important, I think, for people to kind of see, okay, they can relate and see themselves through your story, how you're kind of transitioning and what your thought process was through it. And I really like the fact that you're saying like, okay, I'm tuning into how am I feeling today? Am I really tired? Am I not? Like how much energy can I dedicate to investing into this program and taking the pressure off, what kind of prompted you to even know, okay, like I don't want to feel burnt out because I feel like right now it's so easy to get caught up in that hustle culture of everything mm -hmm. yeah. and feel like that's what we need to do. Tell me more about that. Yeah. And I mean, I was already pretty burnt out. Uh, I don't know if I was burnt out, but I was tired. I felt like at that point, from the time I graduated to, to that point in which I started learning tech stuff, which was like three years, really two and a half years, I had already been like going, going, going and doing the most all the time. And so in a way I was kind of a part of that hustle culture for that time being someone can only work and go to school at the same time for so long, you know? So I think I was already tired and I think I was just extra sensitive to my energy levels because of that going into this. So. When I decided that I was going to pursue this and make it happen, I was already just trying to be sensitive to how I was feeling in that moment. And so that's what came out of it was like, hey, I'm going to pace myself like Rome wasn't built in a day. Neither is my career going to be. So I'm just going to take it easy and put in the work. And it really helped to have my brother-in-laws too, because or brothers-in-law, they were really supportive throughout the whole thing. And everybody goes through imposter syndrome. I mean, I probably had moments of imposter syndrome last week still. So it's just something that follows you around. But 
it's nice to have like mentors who you can go to when you feel down and when you feel, you know, like you don't measure up and to be able to bring that to them openly and just get the encouragement that you need to continue on, I think is really valuable. I love that. That's something personally I'm trying to do right now is, is find mentors because mm-hmm. it is important to know, okay, like it's going to be okay. And to kind of sink into that. And I feel like you just already having that knowing and doing that. And I guess the community too, and you're, you had that community around you to really support you through this transition and moving into this new space. I know you wanted to tell a story, which I'm excited to hear because I don't think I've heard it before. So I'll let you kind of share your news of what you wanted to share. Yeah, the story was how how I got my first job after all of this like intense studying that I was doing for six to eight months. So Rachel actually got accepted to a program for acupuncture school. That's my wife, for those who don't know. And uh, so she also pivoted away from nursing and into something else and got accepted to a doctoral program here in San Diego, where we live now. And because of that, I had to move. And of course, that meant I would have to leave Theramines. Kind of congruent with that little story there is that at Theramine, we had done a lot of work to try to get some web developers to revamp our websites and do our digital marketing, which we were not having a lot of success with. I think it's really hard for people who don't understand the, the really niche industry that Theramine is in to like come in and learn how to market it and create a new website for it and all that stuff that does it justice. So I had been learning all those skills. I felt pretty good about the fact that I could probably do it for us. You know, I knew we had to move. My boss had known that we'd already had a conversation about that. And so he was sad I was leaving. And one day I was sitting there and my boss had had a pretty heated conversation with the web people that we were working with this time around. And actually it ended up firing them from the project. So we were once again left with nobody to do that for us. And it kind of just popped into my head that all of those arcs were converging into each other. And I had this idea. I was like, oh my gosh, I should just hit up my boss right now and tell him I can do this stuff for us. I can build our websites. I can do our digital marketing and I'll do it remotely. Once I move, you don't have to lose me. I know the business better than these people who are trying to step in and do it for us. So you don't have to worry about like me marketing it correctly or not. It just felt like a really good idea. So I actually texted Rachel from from the office and I was like, babe, I think I should do this. What do you think? And she was like, that sounds kind of insane, but it does sound like a good idea. What do you have to lose? So I actually like initially was thinking I'll wait, sleep on it and like call my boss the next day or something. But I'm a really impatient person once I realize that something is worth doing. So I sat there for maybe like 15 minutes <laughs> and then decided, you know what? I'm going to call him right now. And my boss and I had a really good relationship, so I wasn't like super worried about it. But I picked up the phone. I called him in the back room and uh, I pitched it to him. And he was basically just immediately like, that sounds like a great idea. And then, you know, within a few minutes of that conversation, we were like planning on next time I see him in office, we'll draft up the details of the position that will create for me and like that that was that. So when we moved, I, I took over as the web developer and designer for, for the company. COVID ended up screwing that up after about six months, but I actually formed like a freelance consultancy to continue doing that work on the side. And I looked for a new job and kind of went a different direction after that. But I just thought that was such a crazy, like, like looking back, I can't believe that I did that. And I can't believe that it worked for me. 
And I had also applied already at that time to like 200 jobs in San Diego and heard back from like at most six or seven and had one interview that didn't go through. So I was already like at my wits end and people didn't want to take a chance on somebody who didn't have any prior work experience. And I had a pretty crappy portfolio at that time. I hadn't put a lot of work into like demonstrating my skills with projects at that time, which is something I definitely recommend people do if they want to like make that transition. But yeah, that, that's kind of that little story. It, it just, I guess having a little cojones works out sometimes. Also though, I, I feel like that is kismet. Like it was fated for you to reach that moment from hearing also your timeline or your journey from like the beginning is that you really followed your intuition of like, okay, pre-med isn't working for me, but I really like this part of it. Like I love the brain and I love psychology. And mm -hmm. then moving from that and working at Theramide and then figuring things out with Rachel and saying, oh, well, I'm just going to pivot towards this because that's the next ping for me. It's interesting seeing the breadcrumbs and you're like, okay, well, that's what I'm just going to do next. And I'm going to learn, I'm going to evolve. And then all of a sudden it and reach this pinnacle of, Oh, you've applied to 200 jobs, but now it, this one's just going to fall in your lap and it's, and it's meant to be yeah. as you're transitioning to San Diego. I just, I think that is such confirmation for you and Thanks. trusting yourself. I, it's amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. I think that is one really important thread throughout all of this. And that's an important thing I want to call out is. I think we know ourselves better than anybody and we should let our life decisions kind of flow out of that. And from the time I got that web developer job at Theramind and transitioned into that till now, it hasn't been like smooth sailing. I actually fully lost that job from COVID and I was on unemployment and all that stuff. And with Rach in school, we had tuition to pay plus expenses and suddenly neither of us are working and like we had just moved. There was no shortage of challenges to continue to adapt to, but I think obviously now we're doing great and we're paying her tuition in cash and then some, and life is pretty good right now. But I definitely had to continue to stay true to myself, what I want, and just continue to stay flexible in what it is that I'm willing to work hard to do. Life's crazy. Even right now, the economy is changing not in great ways. And some folks may start to lose jobs again or find it harder to find new jobs due to hiring freezes and things like that. And not to freak people out, but just to encourage people that life's going to throw stuff at you. And if you just continue to stay true to what it is you like to do, what you need to do, what your goals are and all of that, and just stay flexible and be able to adapt, you're going to be able to play the best hand that you're dealt at every step. And, and that's going to make you successful, I think, in the long run. It's kind of inevitable. If you do that, there's really no way you'll just continue to fail over and over and over again. Even just statistically, I feel like that's low. That's just a thought, but not an actual stat. But yeah. I, I love that. I, I think that's true as well. There's only so many times you can fail until you reach a point where you succeed. How did you work through maintaining that mindset when going through some of those struggles within the pandemic? Because that's really hard to stay on the track of like, okay, we got this. We just got to keep going. Yeah, that's a great question. And honestly, it was scary. And I think some of the motivation there was fear-based. I got a wife and I got a feeder and 
house her and take care of her. And I mean, I took vows to do that, but it's not just for fun. Of course, I do enjoy being married to her, but that's a different bird walk. I think part of me was just like jumped into gear because it's all of a sudden I'm without a job. We don't have income and that's a problem and I need to solve that problem. And truly that's when I like started to invest more in my portfolio, updating that portfolio with the things I had done at Theramind over the past six months, updating it with side projects I had built. I actually also built new side projects to demonstrate those skills better because I didn't really have that. I built a COVID tracking dashboard, which was actually pretty fun and put that in my portfolio site so that I could send that off to future employers and started to really game LinkedIn. And that's when I really got into making my profile super fleshed out and well thought out and whatnot. And just took a different approach to applying to jobs from there too. Like I think in the past I used to be more choosy in what I applied to more because I thought I wouldn't get any of these rules. I thought I wasn't qualified. And then this time I had nothing to lose because I didn't have a job and I needed one. So I actually just blasted out my application on LinkedIn to everything I could find that was reasonable and, and like doable and near me in my location and whatnot. And that's when I actually started to get callbacks and quite a few callbacks. And I ended up getting a really good job at a place called Charter Healthcare from there as a UX engineer. The work that I did there really accelerated my career because I got to do a lot of cool things. So it really, it worked out, but I had to put my head down and just keep going. There's sometimes there's no way out, but through the situation. So that's kind of where I was at at that. Wow. So you, thank you for sharing that. So it almost sounds like it really shifted something, even though I know you're like, oh, it was kind of fear-based. Like I really had to figure this shit out because we needed to move forward. I needed to get a job. But through that, you mentioned this mindset shift of I was applying for jobs and I was looking at applying for jobs in this in one certain way and then moving towards a it doesn't really matter. Let's just or I don't know, I may be putting words in your mouth, but let's no, just, yeah. yeah, like and and throw it out there. Has that shift been helpful or has that come up in other situations when this idea of like, just go for it? Because I feel like it's a just go for it, but in a very different way. Yeah, no, you're you're calling out something definitely worth talking about. I think that was a shift for me in the way that I approached my myself as a candidate of, of jobs. It's so easy to look at LinkedIn job postings or wherever and see like, oh, we want five years of experience with this and this and this and this and all these things that they're listing. There's like nice to haves also that span completely different skill sets. And then before you know it, you're reading it and you're like, I am not qualified for this. I think it's really easy to get caught up in that, but I think the reality is, is that you're qualified for far more of those job listings than you think you are. And I'm not just, you know, bullshitting you like this is real. I started to apply to those things and get callbacks. And they were things that I, when I applied, I remember thinking, oh, I have no shot at this, but what do I have to lose right now because of my situation? And then I ended up getting called back. And then some of them even turned into the actual getting a job offer or getting the job. I think that's something that everybody should take away is like, be more bold in what you apply to and be more bold in the opportunities that you shoot your shot for and don't sell yourself short. Like it's okay to not feel super confident about it going in, but I think you should always, always accept the fact that there's a chance that maybe HR just wrote a really wordy, choosy listing for the job and they're not actually looking for that. Or 
maybe you are, you know, one of only a few people throwing your hand in the pot and like, you might actually be more qualified than others, even if you're not fully qualified based on the listing, different things like that. I think there's definitely merit to being more bold in, in the opportunities that you try to kind of snag for yourself. I've been seeing a shift overall with people being more bold, honestly, through the pandemic. I don't know if it's either out of fear or they're just like, holy shit, why have I been working this job for forever? We got to change some things up. But hearing this, I feel like in other people hearing your story, I think is a true tangible takeaway of, oh, you are bold and I can be bold. And it, and it ended up working out. I know that we hadn't really talked about this yet, but I know that you're very creative and I know with, even with your job now, it is creative. How has that shifted in the creative aspect? Because I know that you've done music or you're exploring music right now. I don't know if you're trying to promote that. I mean, you know, I'm always your number one fan. <laughs> so. Okay, fun story. I remember me and my buddies made these really stupid rap songs. They were total joke rap songs. And I'm not going to say more about it because I hope to God no one ever hears them. But we we had put up a new song on SoundCloud or something like that. And I was walking one night to Rachel's apartment, which was right next to the Santa Barbara Bowl. So there were always concerts and stuff at the bowl and I would have to park and walk forever. And I'd walk by a million people and then I'd finally get to her apartment. It was nighttime and I was parking and walking to Rachel's apartment to just hang out with her. And there's a ton of people going to this concert, so I'm walking past them. And behind me, I hear somebody talking about our stupid little rap group. And somebody was talking about the new song we posted, and they were telling their friends about it. And I turn around, and I'm like, what the heck is that? And it was Kelly telling Morgan and some of her other friends about our stupid song as if it was the coolest thing ever. So, Kelly, you are 100% our number one fan. There is actual proof of that. And I, I thank you for being such a fantastic support. Luckily, my music's also gotten a lot better than those songs back then. But yeah, I, I don't know that working this hard in my career has changed the extent to which I like involve myself in my creative hobbies. I'm still, I make music. I work on music multiple times a week. I have a project going. I've got like four songs into a new album that I'm going to try to launch towards the end of this year. And it's some of my best work so far, so I'm really excited about it. I still find plenty of time to work on that stuff. And uh, photography has taken a little bit of a backseat. I think I kind of burned myself out on it, trying to make it a career or successfully making it a career for a little while. And I've since kind of put it down and just been enjoying the fact that I don't feel so much pressure to go do it all the time, but very much still involved in music. And again, my like you said, my career itself has a lot of creativity involved in my day-to-day -day work and stuff. I'm also wondering, I've always felt like you're really good at, even from just this conversation of, okay, I'm going to zone in and do this for however much. Is that the same way with music for you? Or is it a little bit different than how you approach education? Yeah. So you're, just to clarify, so you're asking like, do I take the same really methodical approach to some of my creative hobbies like music? as I do to regimenting my studying or things like that for my career. Is that kind of your question? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would say the short answer would be probably no. I like to, and I, I think I learned this lesson after trying to make photography a career for a while. It's really nice to just let things that 
like give you that pure creative joy and satisfaction it's nice to kind of insulate them from the pressures of a hustle or or a job or things like that with photography it just i really haven't felt the desire to pick it up after i kind of turned it into a a career and that pressure seeped into the activity for me it's been nice to just forget about it for a while and I've tried to take that approach with music too, kind of learning from that and just protecting it from that in a way. And just if I feel inspiration and if I feel like pulling up and making a beat or recording some vocals on one or something like that, playing guitar, I try to just do it and let myself get lost in the flow and the joy of, of that activity. And it is tough when you're trying to like make an album because there's, there's that pressure of like, hey, I want to launch this. I want to get it in front of people. I want it to be good. So I need to mix and master it and spend a lot of time on it. But ultimately, like if it takes me two years to make this album, I'll let that happen. It's fine with me to like sacrifice a launch time for the quality of the product and for not squandering the joy that comes from it, if that makes sense. That makes sense. I feel like there is something about keeping those things sacred, preserving that the love that you feel for it. And it, it is important, like you're saying, because I, I relate because I've burnt out on some hobbies as well. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Ugh, I wish I could find that joy again within that hobby. And so I really like your approach to that because yeah. I think too, I don't know if this resonates with you or not, but right now, I don't know if it's Instagram or social media or the internet or what, but it's like anything that we find joy in, there's always, sometimes I feel this pressure of, oh, we have to monetize it or do it right now and get down and dirty and make this happen. But I think with some things, it's okay if we can just enjoy it, like you're saying. Yeah, I think we need to be more protective of our time. And I do freelance with software development and and web development and design and stuff like that. So I still monetize some of my time outside of work in that way. But yeah, I think we live in such a, especially the past two years, just been crazy. And I would love to see all of us just prioritize ourselves and our time and our flexibility and our mental health far more than we've ever done before, I think. Even myself, I feel like I'm a pretty (laughs) stable person, I guess, emotionally and and whatnot. And like, I'm very blessed to be able to say that, but I know a lot of my friends and family and, and loved ones can't say the same. And even in my steadiness, I've found that the past two years just wore on me in ways that I'm still unpacking, but it's just, it was a crazy time to be alive. I think coming out of that, we need to be extra protective of our time, keep our joy and keep the activities that give us joy sacred in that way, like you're saying, and focus on making ourselves happy. And you could still chase your career and make progress and work on your side hustles and things like that. But like, if you feel like something is starting to kind of slip into that territory of it's not bringing me joy anymore, I think you need to be extra conscientious about what you do with that and and how you approach kind of mitigating that. Yeah, I agree. There are so many good nuggets of truth that you just said there. I'm curious as we're coming close to time. So I have a couple more questions, but how do you yourself protect your, your time today? Yeah, that's a great question. And this is, (laughs) I know I just went on a tangent about it and now I'm going to tell you I'm not that great at it. So that's, that's great for my credibility, but I think I'm learning how to do it more and more. I think I'm 
I need to get better at it. If you're like me and you love opportunities to do new cool things and work on new projects and like pick up new skills and do all that stuff, it's really easy to get spread too thin. I think at my work, I've heard people call it peanut buttering, which is kind of funny. But like, if you're like me and you peanut butter yourself, which actually, now that I say that out loud, sounds pretty provocative and, and inappropriate. So maybe I take that back. But anyways, you get what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to get better at like spending more time um, at home if I'm tired and trying not to take on too many side projects if I feel like my plate's already full. Saying no to things. I know it sounds cliche, but it, there's an art to it. And it's really important to master that art of saying no. Whether it's social stuff because you're tired and you need to spend a night in. Whether that's projects because somebody hits you up with this cool thing they want you to work on and you're the guy for it or you're the gal for it and they want you to do it. Sometimes you just got to say no. And I've been trying to do that more. That also, I think, frees up room to say yes to a lot of stuff that would bring you joy. I tend to still spread myself thin, but I do feel like in saying no to a lot of stuff that won't bring me joy or won't be worth my time, I've actually said yes to more stuff that does do that for me. So I guess the moral there is if you're going to be bad at protecting your time like I am, you might as well be bad at it and doing a lot of things that you enjoy. So I don't know if that's good advice, but that's my advice. That's good advice. I, <laughs> I really think boundary setting is truly a practice. It's so yeah. hard and to see, like you're saying, I, I think the fact that you're recognizing that that's not worth my time and saying no to it and saying yes to something else something else that is, is big in and of itself. Cause I think that really is the first step of just recognizing, okay, like what do I actually want to invest in? Yeah, that's a very good point. It is a good saying no is a good exercise in like helping create a framework for what it is that you truly love and what you don't. So, oh my gosh, this is my last and, and final question um, that I ask all my guests, but what are some goals you have coming up that you're excited about and small ways you are working towards them? All right. Biggest goal is probably the album. Uh, I would love to finish like four to five more tracks and have a good album ready to go and launch that on Spotify and all that fun stuff by like the end of summer, maybe in the fall, winter at, at worst. And yeah, like I mentioned earlier, it's it's a passion project, so I'm not trying to kill myself to get it done. When I feel inspired, I'll crank open FL Studio, put some beats together, work on some vocals, and I just try to keep it casual like that. And that's really my process. So uh, I'm having fun with that. And I hope to keep it that way by by kind of protecting that time in that way. Other than that, just killing it at work, which I have the opportunity to do every day since I clock in every day. There are one or two like coding side projects that I'm working on. I'm building an app for like a productivity tool. It's not that interesting, but <laughs> I, I like it and it's fun. And I'm working on that, but that's been going for like a year. And again, small baby steps to get that done. I work hard when I feel inspired and I, I put it down when I'm not. And I think that keeps me going. I love that this idea of like taking the pressure off. Yeah. Be kind to yourself. Like you, you're going to have these goals. We all do. And if you just set your mind to it, you're going to achieve it. But let yourself be gentle in, in the time that you allow yourself to do that thing. If you're having a bad day, just let yourself have a bad day and, and rest or you're going to burn out. And that will truly stop you from reaching your goals if you burn out. So 
I think we need to be better about being kind to ourselves throughout the intense pursuit of our goals. One last nugget for you. I want to encourage people to not be afraid to suck at something. And I say that because all these things that it may sound like I'm good at, I sucked at initially. Like I sucked at guitar and now I'm pretty good at guitar after many years. I sucked at making beats. You should hear my first beats. They're horrific. But now it's something I'm really good at. Same with coding and photography. These are things I always sucked at when I first started. That's just part of the process. So I want people to hear that and to not be held back by the fear of sucking at something. Every person that you see that looks like they're good at something, they sucked at that thing too at some point, I guarantee it. And so if you're not afraid to suck for a little while and just kind of weather the storm of sucking at that thing, before you know it, you will actually rock at that thing. And it's inevitable. Like if you just keep doing something over and over, you're going to get better at it. So. I hope people hear that and think like, okay, well, there's this thing I wanted to do. I have been worried about sucking at it, but maybe I'm going to try not to worry anymore. And I think that will just lower the bar of entry into that thing and you'll be more apt to jump in and just do it. I agree. That is an incredible message. I think that is something too that I'm learning with podcasting and you being here today. Messy action really gets you somewhere. Yeah, it's, it's progress. It's synonymous with progress. That's all it is. It's like, it's progress that doesn't feel very good in the moment, but it'll feel great if you just keep, keep doing it, you know? Yeah. It's like we just blink and then we're at that place, but all in the middle, it, it feels forever. Well, thank you so much for joining today. You're going to help so many people. Now, I guess the, the best part of this is let people know where to find you and where they can see your work and all that jazz. Yeah, totally. You know, anyone who wants to hit me up, talk more about this stuff, there's so much more to talk about. I wish we could go on forever. But yeah, if, if anybody wants to hit me up, you can find me on LinkedIn. I think my at is like Brandon Connor, C-O-N-O-R. I guess I was bored of the last name Eusebio for a day when I made that, but you can find me on LinkedIn there. Find me on Instagram at Brandon Connor, wherever. If you look around, you'll find me. And also Brandon.dev, D-E-V is uh, my portfolio website. You can contact me on there too. I, I get emails when people fill out that contact form. So by all means, find me, ask me questions, tell me about yourself. I'd love to hear from you. And I, I would love to help you kind of navigate any career switches that you're going through. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. And I'll link all that in the show notes as well, everyone. So you'll be able to reach out to Brandon if you have any questions or need some inspiration or just need some advice. Well, thank you again, Brandon, for joining today and have a great rest of your week. Thank you, Kelly. You too. I love your podcast. Thanks for having me. If you leave a review, you'll receive a free guide of the One Bad Habit Find Your Habit Formula 5-Day Focus. It will walk you through how to break down your goals into bite-sized pieces, how to find your habit formula or formula for success, and how we can easily show up each week and take aligned action. This is the method that changed my life, and I'm excited to share it for free for a limited time only. So make sure to leave a review, screenshot it, and email it to me at one bad habit at a time at gmail.com. Again, that's one bad habit at a time at gmail.com. Thank you so much. See you next time.